Welcome, this is the Trial Advocates Playbook and I'm Craig McKenzie. This is part two of my interview with Chris Daw QC, who shares some wonderful tips and insights. Enjoy. to the audience so you know i've done trials up and down the country uh, in front of different kinds of juries from the north east south and west i've been to the court of appeal dozens and dozens of times in the high court the administrative court and i've done advocacy in front of judges you know once again from from every kind of background every variety of judge and, and, and so my tip is know your audience and act accordingly so so be aware of the audience as you're addressing them as well because one of the things that i do see uh, not necessarily just by junior advocates either is that the advocate never does actually looking at the person they're speaking to possibly because they're too fixated on their notes possibly for, for because just because of some sort of personal quirk of kind of presentation but you know i i've I, i'll tell you my best example of not of not uh, observing what's going on around you um was an advocate in a trial that i did at least 20 years ago probably more um it was a robbery case and the, there were several defendants in the case. And uh, th- this advocate was cross-examining an eyewitness, an identification witness, uh, about whether he could actually identify the, the advocate's client as being the person responsible for producing a knife or whatever it was in the course of the robbery. And the, the witness uh, was uh, giving evidence and uh, pointed to someone in the dock. And, and what this advocate didn't take the trouble to do was to look at what the witness was point who the witness was pointing to, or really have any consciousness of what was going on, and and and, and just started to object to the doc identification, not realizing that the witness was pointing to someone who wasn't that that, that wasn't his client at all. It was someone else. So, <laughs> and the rest of us, you know, it couldn't have been this person he was that the witness was actually pointing to. So basically, he's won the case except he's not won the case because he wasn't paying proper attention to what was really going on. He's just defaulted to an objection to a doc ID. And and the same thing really applies. So knowing the audience and actually being aware, paying attention, don't just get fixated on looking down at your notes and looking and, and sticking exactly to a plan or being fixated on objecting to things because you feel like they are the things you object to. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, so 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 certainly know your audience um, in terms of a jury, for example. Once again, I've seen far too many advocates addressing juries without ever looking up at the jury. And so the jury, you may yeah. find one of them's putting his hand up because he wants to go to the toilet. Another one's dozed off. <laughs> another one's actively nodding or shaking his head or, 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 or pointing to a document. And, and the advocate's not aware of any of it. Whereas I, I spend my time in front of juries listening and learning from the jury, not lecturing the jury. So you, you pick, if you can't pick up on right. those cues. So I'll, if, if I yeah. see someone pointing to a document or, or appears to be distracted by something in the room, even if I'm not on my feet, I might notice these things. I will stand up yeah. and say so. So if I'm in the middle of a speech, I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, I noticed that you're, that you, that you may have a question, that you have a document, that you, you, you know, is, is, is there something that I can help you with? Or is there something that, you know, so I'll interact yeah. with the jury appropriately, of course, um, 
because yeah. I'm aware. And likewise with judges, if I'm in the court of appeal in front of three judges, one of them appears to be fixated on a point and is mumbling maybe or, or, or making fierce notes. I'll acknowledge that. And I'll say, you know, Mr. Justice Smith, um, I, I, I wonder if there's some particular element of this that you'd like me to address. And often, nine times out of 10, Mr. Justice Smith will say, there is actually, I'm really concerned about this point. And yeah. then you can deal with it. Whereas you may have got to the end of the hearing, just fixatedly following your plan and never yeah. actually engage with the one thing that mattered to the jury or to the judge or to the juror or jurors and the judge. So just being aware of your surroundings. Um, I think another, yeah. another sort of top tip, and one of the things that you often see being done very badly in court, is to have your papers, whether they be electronic papers or whether they be paper papers, have them really well yeah. organised in court, in front of you. So spend some time to get set up properly before the case starts. Yeah. Even if it's a small case in the magistrate's court that's only going to last an hour or less, it's a quick sentence or bail application, have all of the documents properly at your fingertips. Now, that nowadays yeah. often, in my case, will be on a large iPad, uh, and I will have them organised uh, in 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 an, in, in an app, a PDF app within my iPad, so that I can flick across tabs and get to the documents. Use the technology because most of us are working in a digital world now with electronic evidence rather than papers, uh, when particularly yeah. in the Crown Court. But but be really well organised with your paperwork, um, and you will find that you look really clever when you do that and you may you may actually be really clever but it doesn't matter one way or the other whether you're really clever if when the judge says but isn't there a, a, a document an exhibit somewhere that deals with this point if you can go yes it's yeah. exhibit 10 because you've got the exhibits index of the key exhibits right at the front of your exhibits file electronic or otherwise and you can either hot yeah. key to it or you can or you can you can drag it up and you can give the reference straight away you, the impression of confidence that that gives in court, because, and it's just about being well organised, but, but it's not about being super clever or, or anything else. It's about being well organised. But the impression of confidence and mastery of the brief that good organisation gives to the jury or to the judge is incredibly important when it comes to their perception of you as an advocate and the perception of your client's case. So be well organised. Yeah. Um, and so, and the final tip I'll give you, which is one that it took me ages to get my head around as a uh, as a junior uh, advocate, is that yeah. one of the things I kept doing when I was just starting out in the magistrates' court, doing um, you know common assault trials and shoplifting and all the rest of it, like like we all like we all yeah. did at the beginning, and you know all the kind of breaches of orders and stuff like that. Um, one of the things I would constantly forget to do in magistrates' court trial, or forget rather, was the name of the witness who was actually in the middle of giving evidence and I was in the middle of cross-examining and suddenly <laughs> it would go completely out of my head. And this happened time and again and it would be missed. That kind of thing where you completely yeah. forget. Now, if it's a policeman in uniform, as it often was in those days, it was easy because you just go officer or constable or yeah. sergeant and then you get away with it. But if, it was, <laughs> if that wasn't possible... <laughs> Um, you would be stuck with a kind of like it would be awkward because, you, you you know, and, and so one of the things that I started to, to do and still do to this day, and it took me months in pupillage and in early practice to realise this, was write the name of the witness in great big letters right in front of you and put it on a piece of paper right in front of you so that 
as soon as the witness is or throughout the time the witness is in the witness box, their name is right in front of you. Now, there might be other yeah. things that need to go on your idiot guide to the witness. There might be other points that you need to include in there, such as, for example, yeah. direct references to the if the witness has made more than one witness statement or there are other documents. Keep all of that in one place right in front of you so that if anything comes up, First of all, you're not going to ever forget the witness's name because it's written down right in front of you. But secondly, you'll be able to you won't be like looking around for a witness statement for, for, for you know, two or three minutes because you've lost it or it's gone under you, gone under the desk. Keep it all really well organized and keep. And if it's on DCS or on a, on a digital system, keep the references to the key documents right in front of you. So now these are all yeah. things that. They, you, people will be listening to this thinking, well, this isn't, this isn't particularly clever. I thought we were going to get some genius insight from this guy. And actually, <laughs> it's the simple things no, that make, yeah. you, make you appear really clever. Um, now, I yeah. talked earlier about the, 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 the ferocious attention to detail, advanced preparation and planning. All of that is vital. But it's equally vital to just organize yourself properly in the courtroom, be on top of all of your documents and not just talk, but listen and not and not just look at your documents, but look around you. Be conscious of what's going on in the courtroom, you know, because if you're not conscious of what's happening in the courtroom, you're going to miss something. You're going to make a point that someone's not interested in and you're going to miss a point that somebody is interested in. And you're doing yourself and your client a disservice by not being present and paying attention to everything that's going on around you. Yeah. F fantastic tips. And I, I was speaking to a, a, a newly qualified barrister the other day and she had showed me her, her, her pupil master had prepared a handwritten sort of book for her um, as a sort of how-to guide. And, and number one was remember your wig and gown yeah. and it was a step by step yeah yeah no that's good um, stuff and, uh, 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 as the little things that in the early years that you you know what I mean it's these sort of tips that you need yeah um, if you I know it's probably what 25 years ago or so since your, your first very first trial mm. which was probably before the, the magistrates it was I, I would imagine um, if you could go back to the night before your very first trial and you could give yourself a few minutes of advice what what would you say to to yourself well i think i've just done it i would have told myself to write the witness's yeah. bloody name on a piece of paper because <laughs> i'm sure in the yeah. in the in the sort of all of the you know adrenaline of that first case i remember it well i think it was stockport magistrates court and it was stockport, yeah. yeah and it was uh shoplifting <laughs> A uh, four pack of beer and uh, common assault, or so no assault with intent to resist arrest of the store detective who performed a, a citizen's arrest on my um, inebriated uh, <laughs> client, who was something of a regular before Stockport Magistrates Court, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Um, but even then, I'm sure I forgot the names of witnesses. I sure, I'm sure my paperwork was probably a mess, and I'm sure that I uh, the mistakes that I made. Not that I can remember the blow for blow of the case, um, but but the st mistakes that I made would almost certainly have been born of two things: one, poor planning and organisation in advance, uh, and and, yeah. and and inadequate preparation. Not not to say that I wouldn't have read it. You know, I don't know how long I would have had with the file. Probably not very long, to be honest with you. Um, uh, it wouldn't have been a case I'd instructed in more than the night before would have been the earliest I was instructed. Probably on the morning, as as, as was the case, and yeah. probably still is for many of these cases. But um, 
So I would have prepared as much as you could in the time available, but I wouldn't have been conscious of the stagecraft or the court craft around even things like the physical layout of where you choose to sit, how you orientate yourself physically towards the tribunal or towards the witness. All of these sort of small yeah. psychological cues and features of advocacy or of any form of public speaking or, or, or persuasion are really, really important. So I would have I would have tried to give my 23 year old self the sort of self-awareness that 23 year olds don't have. <laughs> um, and right. so, you know, and uh, but, but, you know, you learn I, I, it's interesting because obviously I, I, I have this degree of self-awareness and insight after 27 years or, or around 27 years in the job. But I have that because of all of the experience along the way. So, you know, during that sort of period, which was probably one of the most exciting periods of my whole career, really, I remember at one point in either my second six or, or, or in early tenancy, I, I remember doing 20 trials in a month, 20 magistrates yeah. court trials, so one every <laughs> single day, and, and, and they yeah, all stood yeah. up. <laughs> you know, and you, you probably have been there, and yeah. you, and, and and you know, you, yeah. it's just, it's that it's the same approach to organisation, methodical approach. Oh, another another really important thing to do is if you are particularly in the, if you're sent to to deal with a, a case in the magistrates court that might be for some obscure breach of some other some regulation or this that and the other you've never heard of. Always, no matter how familiar you think you are with the law. Look it up. <laughs> Look up the legislation. Make sure it's still in force. Check the sentencing powers yeah. of the court. Check whether there are any fundamental ingredients of the offence that the prosecution have to prove that they may not have proved. Um, check that there's no yeah. bar to the prosecution going ahead, like, I don't know, d uh, consent of the, the attorney general or something like that. Unlikely in the magistrate's court. But but, you know, yeah. just just do the basics. Go back to basics every time. Even if you've done 27 shoplifting cases, go back and look at Archbold or Blackstones and look at theft and look at the ingredients and look at whether there's some element of the case that may be susceptible yeah. to, a, to, to some legal argument or other or give you a line of defence that you weren't aware of. And time after time, or even stop you making a stupid mistake. Because, you know, even in yeah. Silk, even though I probably um, acted in you know cases involving two or three hundred different crimes i've no idea but i mean countless crimes of every variety i can i can i can think i know the law of murder inside out and i probably do but the truth is it does yeah. me no harm every time to go back and look at the section of archbold which is only two or three pages that deal with the fundamental ingredients so just don't don't ever assume you know better than archbold or blackstone don't assume you know the law better than anybody else yeah. Because the truth is that the books know the law better than you do, however clever you think you are. So go and check yeah. it and look it, look it over. And, and, and once again, it's that same thing. I, this happened to me not that long ago in the Court of Appeal, where I, I, I was in a really complex conviction appeal. And, and I, had got, I had done the thing I just described. I'd gone back and looked at, I'd done a whole 360 degree look at the case. I'd looked at the law yeah. and the evidential and the admissibility issues that arose from the case, including a whole line of authority on a particular point. And lo and behold, shock horror, that was the exact point that both two of the judges out of three were fixated upon. They didn't know the answer. They hadn't looked it up recently, but they realised it was in play. And I was able to say, well, I can give you chapter and verse on that because I, 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 it was part of my preparation notes. 
And I, it wasn't yeah. part of my submission, but it was part of my preparation notes. So I went back to it and took them through it. Um, and so that, that equally applies in a magistrate's court, because particularly in front of a lay bench, you're going to time and again come up in front of magistrates who don't know the law. And if you don't know the yeah. law, then how are you possibly going to deal with a situation where neither you nor the tribunal knows the law and you're effectively in the hands of, of, the, of the legal advisor? Um, you need to know the law better than the legal advisor in court if you're in the magistrate's court on the case that you're doing. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Fantastic tips um, coming from you, Chris. I mean, some advocates you hear in the Crown Court, they, as part of the closing speech, they, they, they tell stories. and But by stories, I mean, for example, recently I've had an advocate uh, deal with adverse inferences um, from a police station interview by telling a, a story about how he went to a, his GP, had a heart issue, he goes to the consultant, the consultant advises him that he needs to have an operation, a stent, he follows the advice of, of the consultant and then um, he turns that round to say, well, that's what the defendant did. He followed the professional's advice. On a no-comment interview? Jury. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, do you do you have any stories that you, you tend to tell during your closing? I know some do, some don't. No, I do. I, I, uh, I, I tell stories all the yeah. time. In, in fact, I, yeah. I did a very substantial bank fraud case at Southwark Crown Court where I was representing a senior official of, of, of a bank. Um yeah. And the trial was about three months long. And I spent the whole of my closing speech assiduously avoiding talking about anything to do with the case at all. Uh, my instructing <laughs> solicitor was quite amazed that I managed to get through about an hour and 10 minutes, which is actually quite a long speech for me, because one of my other top tips is to, is to keep your speeches and your submissions as short as possible rather than as long as possible. So normally my optimal yeah. length of a closing speech is, is no more than 40 minutes, so slightly less than a half of football which is in my experience roughly the amount of concentration span that most jurors have got uh, certainly if yeah. unless you can you know, unless you're sort of properly entertaining anything longer than that and they will start to drift off um but 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 yes yeah, so i spent i spent well i spent my hour and 10 minutes talking i, I remember so so one of the issues in the case uh, that one of my client's defense was in effect that the the actions that the bank suggested he should have taken in respect of a large a number of very large loans which were suggested to be fraudulent um but but the bank said that he should have taken a number of actions and, and part of the defense case was to establish that none of the actions the bank had expected him to take uh were written down anywhere they were just kind of part and parcel of the general understanding of practice or the general way in which things are done or the way in which you know people learn on the job and so on so so this what i told the jury about was when i was 16 and 17 my one of my jobs and i had a number uh, but one of my jobs was working in a chip shop on a friday and saturday evening and when i went in on a friday evening early on before they opened i'd go in at maybe four and they'd open up at five for the evening trade was um, you'd have to you'd have to start up all the fryers and get them all hot, and there was a yeah. and you, there were a number of other things you had to do to get ready for the for the for the service in the chip shop, and and there was a um, there was a there was a kind of card as the kind you probably see in most chip shops hidden away behind the counter or underneath the counter or something, but there was a card with the protocol of how to open up the chip shop. You know, you had to do certain things. The fryers had to be open. They had to be set at a certain temperature. You had to light them in a certain order. Then you had to make sure you had chips ready. You had enough fish battered. You had, you know, blah, blah, blah. All of this was on a sort of one sheet of laminated A4 paper. And I told the jury all yeah. about this. And I said, 
And lo and behold, here we are in Southwark Crown Court with one of the largest banking institutions in the world telling you that they don't write anything down to tell their member of staff to do something <laughs> that was so important that they're now saying not doing it is a crime and, and, and are trying to seek a, a conviction of a fraud against him for not doing things they never took the trouble to write down and put down anywhere on paper, let alone a laminated card before, be, behind a fryer in a shit shop. So, <laughs> so that, that kind of real-life illustration, and the, yeah. the, the eagle-eyed amongst you will have spotted that not only does that have the benefit of being relevant to the issue in the case yeah. and being actually quite a neat and straightforward way of illustrating the point, but secondly, let's yeah. not pretend that it doesn't give me a certain amount of street cred that I actually used to have a proper job working in a chip shop uh, and ha yeah. haven't always swanned around wearing silk gown and, and, and a wig and, and all the other nonsense that we wear. Um, so establishing a degree of kind of credibility, kinship, fellowship with the jury and street cred, if you want to call it, that doesn't do any harm, provided it's honest and truthful. I think, I, I mean, some people, yeah. I think, make stories up to tell juries. I think that's I think yeah. I find that ethically challenging uh, myself, if not morally wrong. Um, but I think if it's yeah. a true story, I think it can be incredibly powerful. And just, and just while we've got one more minute, my, one of my others in the days when I did many identification cases, mistake, you know, where my, yeah. my defense was mistaken identification by an identification witness who was very adamant. Yeah. And you will have seen many of these cases very adamant in the identification of my client. Uh, on, on an identification procedure. The story I tell about that is, a, again, it's a completely true story, is probably a, about 20 years or more ago, I remember getting a call yeah. from my dad uh, to say, why didn't you come and visit me today and, my, and your mum? And I said, well, I've been in court all day in Manchester. Oh, no, you haven't. I saw you at lunchtime uh, in your BMW going past the end of our road, going round the roundabout. Now, at the time, they and to this day, they lived quite some distance away from me about at least an hour's drive um yeah. and i and i said look dad it wasn't i wasn't there i literally have been in court all day and lunchtime today i was i was you know in manchester crown court in the raving room i've not been anywhere near. and well, this, this went backwards and forwards <laughs> with my dad for about 40 minutes he said no no, no i saw you gray bmw <laughs> exact your car saw you go past i all, i thought you looked at me out the window it, it was you there's no i've got no doubt about it so, and this is this is a hundred percent true story. And and, and interestingly, uh, the point that I make to the jury or made to juries, I've told this story maybe twenty or thirty times over the years, is to illustrate the dangers of mistaken how powerfully someone can believe in an identification that cannot yeah. possibly be right. Um, but 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 as I say, in, in, sort of in telling that story all these times, to this day, if you said to my dad, do you remember that time back in you know whenever it was in the late nineties when when you were convinced I was here. And he was saying, yeah, you were here. He'd still say that now. It was, you know what I mean? Nothing's changed. He still doesn't believe me. So I don't think he would have believed me if I brought the judge and the jury from my trial to come and tell him that I was there all day somewhere else. So, so the point is, it, it, you know, it, it, these personal stories are really important, but the worst kind of story that you hear, and I've heard it, I'm afraid, too many times, is when the advocate has clearly made it up. Uh, and I, and I, I, I and, and it never works. It always falls flat. And and it, usually they make up a story that's funny on the face of it, but ends up not coming across very funny. So here's the overriding message for you, Craig. Keep it real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. It's been a real pleasure to um, to have you on the show, Chris. And thank you very much for giving up your time 
today. I know we've run over and I know you're a very busy busy man, but you've taken the time out to, to come on this today. So thank you very much. Not at all. And let um, me know how I can help put it forward. And, and those who are listening, do please uh, check out my YouTube channel. Do please uh, check out my uh, my Twitter feed at Crimlaw UK. And of course, follow me on LinkedIn for all sorts of interesting stuff. And, and on the YouTube channel, by the way, there's loads of stuff for aspiring lawyers, uh, student stuff, tips on interviews, tips on pupillage and, and training contract applications. So I hope anybody that's listening will check out all of those channels and, uh, and by all means, get in touch through one of them. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'd love to hear from people what they think of this, this interview, which I've really enjoyed. And, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah.